Hi there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to yet another cracking installment of the Map Round Show. This is the Built in California series, uh, where I'm shining the light on some incredible founders doing some amazing work and changing the shape and future of business and the world as we know it. With me on the line is the co-founder and CEO of Cloud Medics, Tashfeen Suleiman. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. Glad so, to be on the show. Oh, it's great to have you here, man. Um, so why don't you kick us off? Um, what's the origin story to uh, Cloud Medics? Yeah, so we started the company in 2015. I uh, was Before that, I was at Microsoft, um, and um, I have a computer science background. My uh, When I was at Microsoft, I had a call at 3 a.m. in the morning letting me know that my father had a subdural hematoma. Uh, which is a, um, a head bleed, a, a brain bleed outside uh, the brain region. And uh, the reason for that was a misdiagnosis. Uh, so I flew out to meet with him. He was in a coma uh, and uh, it took him, you know, seven days of being in a, in a coma. And uh, they had to do a, a head surgery to remove all the blood that had accumulated in his head. Uh, and so he made a full recovery, but that became the genesis story of the company. When I started talking to doctors on what happened, uh, the uh, the theme was that there wasn't enough data and time to figure out what uh, was causing his headaches, and therefore nobody thought it was serious enough to warrant a CT scan. And that misdiagnosis led to a uh, him um, going into a coma. And um, fortunately, they made a full fortunately made a full recovery. Uh, but that gave us a chance to talk to doctors, figure out how to solve this problem. Just not just for my dad, but for millions of people that go. Uh, that fall through the cracks. Um, and so uh, the idea was uh, analyze data from these fragmented data points, put them together, create a longitudinal record, and then do analysis on who's high risk and low risk so that action items can be taken by uh, doctors and uh, and their care staff so that similar incidents don't don't take place. So essentially it's a, it became a tool uh, to, um, to uh, provide a second pair of eyes uh, on your patient population. So, uh, Tashfeen, how big a problem is this? Like, I, I, you know, I'm very empathetic to uh, the situation that you're in. How often does this occur? So, there's two problems here. One is a data fragmentation issue, which is um, as you're going to a doctor, uh, you may be seeing doctors that are on different electronic health record systems. So, you're leaving your breadcrumbs in different doctors' offices. And when you have a catastrophic event like my dad had, that data or the breadcrumbs don't trail back uh, to create a full story. So it becomes very hard for providers and doctors to stitch the story together to figure out what the root cause of the problem is. So data fragmentation is one issue. The second issue is workflow automation. Um, you know, it's, it takes a lot of people, people and manpower uh, to manually look at records uh, and, 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 and create a story uh, for that patient. Um, I was reading a stat that for every seven minutes face-to-face -face time with a doctor, there's about 42 minutes back-end work that happens where your nurse is scheduling a call, your doctor is looking at your record, your care coordinator is looking at your record, your claims is being processed. So it's a workflow, workflow uh, problem. So those two problems are, you know, a, a, a billion dollar plus in terms of medical spend and uh, operational inefficiencies that get added and so it's a, it's a global problem and uh, now with the uh, current economic situation where there's a recession looming and there's worker shortage and more patients are going to hospitals and clinics and there's not enough staff uh, to keep the lights on it's becoming a bigger and bigger problem 
Mm-hmm. Tashfin, um, I'd like to double click on the problem here and maybe start with the data piece. So when we, when you say like there's not enough data and we can, you know, happy for you to talk about the time uh, aspect of it. What kind of data are we talking about? I mean, practically in the hospital, you would think that there's a lot of data. Most companies have too much data. They don't have <laughs> what they can't figure out is what to do with it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so what, maybe you could pack, unpack that for us. Like when you say there's not enough data, what kind of data is it and what are its implications? So it's, uh, it's, it's uh, different types of data, but I don't think it's a shortage of data. It's a shortage of good data that is actionable. So when you go to a doctor, you know, a nurse will take your demographics. Um, she'll take your vitals. So it's your, you know, blood pressure, your oxygen levels, your temperature. So that that's sort of all your vitals. But then there's demographic data, where you live, your income, um, uh, what kind of insurance you have, et cetera. And then there's your clinical data, right? Lab values, um, medications that you're on, uh, uh, prior history, family history, uh, present symptoms, things you're presenting with right now, H&P, history and physical, et cetera. Uh, and then there's claims data, everything that gets sent to a insurance company for claims reimbursement and, and all that stuff. Uh, and then there's um, health, you know, care plan data. What do we do next? What's the care plan that the patients are going to be put on? What kind of treatments are we going to do? What kind of medications are we going to go give to the patient? Is there any, uh, you know, physiotherapy or surgery involved, et cetera? So those different kinds of data, although they go into electronic health records, but it's still very fragmented because in your in your care journey, you're not going to just go to one doctor you're going to go to different doctors. And if you're acute and very sick with multiple uh, chronic conditions and multiple medical issues, you go to different specialists. And usually those specialists are not talking to each other. So the problem then becomes you have good data, but it's siloed in different compartments. And usually those compartments and departments are not talking to each other. Uh, so when it comes to, you know, now you're 65 and over, you have to look back at that history and mostly the doctors are looking at what you're telling them as a patient and that may not be accurate. So what's what's needed as a system and, and different organizations, government level and, and private level have tried to consolidate that data through HIEs, through insurance companies and others to stitch it together, but it's still very sporadic. You know, you may have good population data for a certain county and state, but that may be missing in another state. So it's it's the effort is taking place, but it's not. There's no one solution that's that's out there. So what you've built then is like a healthcare in a box. I've got your website um, up for everyone. So maybe before we get into the meat and the potatoes around like how your technology actually uh, solves the problem, um, maybe give us just an, a broad overview. Like when you say this is healthcare in a box, what exactly do you mean, and what's in the solution? So the ultimate goal for Healthcare in a Box is uh, we give you one platform where you can aggregate data from various sources, whether it's coming from electronic health records, doctor's offices, insurance companies, uh, labs, pharmacy, but then also government site data like SDOH and uh, reporting data that different organizations provide. So you put it all together in one place, and that's what we call Healthcare in a Box. Now that uh, not, Now, once the data is all in one place, you have one source of truth as opposed to chasing those different clinics, chasing those different hospitals to free up that data and give it to you to create a longitudinal or full profile for that patient. So that's what we mean by healthcare in a box. And the idea of the company is we aggregate everything into one place and then give you powerful analytics on a single patient, but also populations of patients to figure out where those patients are going to be clinically and financially, um, you know, uh, predictively in the next six months, in the next one year, in the next five years. 
so that you can take action on those patients and keep them healthy and keep them you know, uh, from getting sick. Uh, so that's the overall idea. And we've done some good penetrations with certain states, with certain large health plans and certain large health systems to achieve that goal. But we're, we're just getting started. There's a lot of work to do. Yeah. The finish line is imaginary. <laughs> when it comes to startups and entrepreneurship, it's like there's no finish line. Even when you sell, like there's another mm-hmm. thing coming, right? There's somebody who asked me, what the, where do you see your company? Uh, what is the vision of the company? And I say, well, I set a vision for 10 years. And then when I get to that, I set the vision for the next 10 years. So we're never going to be satisfied with where we are and what we're doing. I know. You're always in uh, startup mode, right? Right. Cool. So, um, so basically what I'm hearing from you, um, Tashveen is basically that you guys have built a kind of like a modularized system. Um, and there's apps within the system that you can essentially subscribe to as a, uh, as a healthcare orientated business. You've got clinical, financial, operational, and patient experience. Um, could you maybe unpack uh, those four uh, modules or those apps for us a bit more? Like how do they actually create a value from an actionable intelligence perspective? Yeah, so once the data is in that box, we've got, you know, how do you use that data? And for, for the use of that data, we divided it into four departments. So clinical, operational, financial, and patient engagement. And there's a lot of thought process that has gone into that, that um, you know, compartmentalization of data. So operations analytics, for example, will... Look at all the data and then tell you how your organization is doing operationally. Like, do you, do you have more volume of patients and you need more staff to, to deal with them? Um, uh, to cost of care. Like, um, if you're in a, in a, in a, in a state and you have certain patients that are, that require more specialty. So there's more, more high risk patients in COPD, for example. We'll provide you analytics from an operations perspective on how your cost of care should be. So you can better treat those patients. So that's everything into operations analytics. It also goes into operational improvements, workflows, uh, what kind of triggers you need to put in place so that your hospital is not, um, uh, does, when, when there's a surge, uh, your hospital, your patients are not waiting for long hours to be seen by a doctor. So all of that goes into operations analytics. The second piece is clinical, which we call population health. Um, identify your high-risk patients, put them at the top so that your care staff and team can reach out to them and connect with them and, and take care of them before they get sicker and sicker. So all of that goes into population health. The third piece is financial analytics on um, how do you deal with, um, you know, uh, uh, cost of uh, operations and, and um, keep your cost low and, and your, your bottom line high. And as most and most, more and more organizations are going into uh, value-based care, uh, a lot of predictive analytics need to go in on, um, you know, uh, on, on risk adjustments and uh, proactively reaching out to the highest risk patients so that you can get more value uh, out of those contracts. So that all goes into financial analytics. And the last piece is patient engagement, um, which is once you identify who your high risk patients are, then how do you engage with them and uh, make sure that they uh, are on top of their medications. So medication adherence, um, how are they are on top of their appointments, uh, and um, how are they doing generally? And so between those four solutions, uh, which are modular, they're all interconnected. So, uh, you know, if you have a surge and you don't have enough staff, you're going to miss out on those patients. So that all is operational. That gets connected to the clinical, because that's where we identify who your high-risk patients are and how you uh, reach out to them. That gets connected to the financial because hospitals won't be able to keep their lights on if they don't have tabs 
uh, on how uh, what the, how the cost of care is going and uh, where the finances of the company are. And none of the first three are useful until you reach those high-risk patients and engage them because that's where change behavior takes place. So all those four uh, uh, suites of solutions are interconnected on, on the single platform that we provide. Now, most organizations would have one or two of those components already built in. And, uh, you know, the modular approach of our platform is uh, if you have two, then we can give you the three and four. If you have three, we can give you the fourth module the bolt-on. That's where the modularity of the platform comes in. So uh, there's a couple of things I wanted to unpack there. The first one is uh, this idea of value-based care, which I think is quite an interesting um, idea. What exactly is value-based care and how is it different to the care that you know um, patients might have experienced five years ago? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Yeah, so value-based care is a very interesting model. Uh, traditionally, healthcare has been fee-for-service, which is called FFS, where if you become sick, you go to see a doctor. Uh, the doctor has a uh, you know uh, figures out what services he's going to give you, and then they bill for those services. Value-based care, what that means is a an insurance company or Medicare or a government agency will contract with providers or a group of providers or a, or a health system. Uh, and they would say, all right, we know you have 100 patients. Out of those 100 patients, some patients are more sick, some patients are less res- uh, sick. And so we're going to give you a lump sum based on tiers of how sick those patients are. For example, for your top tier 10% really sick patients, we'll give you $100 per patient. I'm just giving you a number. Uh, for your lower risk patients, we'll give you 50 Now, uh, with that tier, they will give you a lump sum or dedicated a lump sum of cost uh, for those patients, and it's then your responsibility to make sure that all your patients stay within that cost. If they stay within the, that cost, then you get a bonus payout. Uh, and if you go over that cost, then it has to come out of your own pocket. So then the doctors, the uh, health systems, they, even the payers, it's their responsibility to make sure uh, they keep those costs contained while not compromising on quality. So you have to keep high quality, keep, keep taking care of patients, keep giving them a good member experience, but do it in a cost-effective manner. Because, you know, uh, there was big research that went out that a lot of doctors were doing unnecessary MRIs and unnecessary surgeries uh, because they were not needed. Uh, and the recovery times were high and memory engagement was low. And, and so and there was a lot of the healthcare spend was going out of control. So this was a way for um, Medicare and many insurance companies to uh, keep providing high quality care, but do it in a, in a cost-contained uh, manner. I mean, if you look at the healthcare spend right now it's 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 a gdp in itself um it's more than a lot of gdps of other countries 
so there has to be a way to uh, keep the quality of care is the same, but keep it at a cost contained manner. Mm. So that's where value-based care has come in, where you get incentivized for, uh, for doing the right thing at the right time and, um, and, and do it in a manner so that uh, quality is not compromised. Um, Tashveen, I was, I was watching a, a Trevor Noah interview with Mark Cuban uh, last week, and he was talking about um, uh, Mark Cuban's, I don't know what you call it, like drug marketplace, not like classes, <laughs> healthcare marketplace, <laughs> let's just call it that. Uh, so uh, it's basically called co- co- Cost Plus. So um, are you aware of it? I am yes. It's a, yeah. it's an interesting concept that a lot of other companies are trying. Um, yeah, so I've got it up on screen for everybody. Which so I thought it was quite interesting because if you think about like this idea of do, of value based care, doing things at the right time, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, it, it seems to me like you know the industry, and I'm not talking more broadly about the industry of healthcare. It seems to me like they've been doing things the same way for a long, long time. Um, and they haven't changed, haven't innovated very much, even things like medical recalls, for instance, like, you know, the way that they handle recalls in hospitals is also like they send a hundred thousand FedEx mails <laughs> to hospitals and different people receive them. And it's like confusing, misinterpreted, the communication structure in the supply chain is, is oftentimes broken. There's a lot of opportunity for startups such as cloud medex to come in here and do things the right way at the right time. <laughs> so uh, so what Mark was saying was that, you know, uh, he was telling the story about his, uh, one of his mates, his school friends, was paying $3,000 a month for, for some kind of drug for, for his health. Um, and then he, his team, Mark got his team to, to go to work and they came back and basically he pays now $63 per quarter. So it's $63 versus $9,000 so somewhere in in that story, there's a there's a huge systemic issue about doing things the right way, quote unquote. What do you see, um, you know, on the ground, Tashveen, uh, talking to healthcare providers every day about you know attitudes towards innovation within the healthcare space? Like, because you know, it's like people love talking people love about to- change, but they don't oftentimes actually want to change at all. So, uh, what's their attitude now towards innovative, uh, pro- you know? solutions like like yours for instance yeah you know i i i, I think that uh 30 of, of healthcare is very service oriented and there's a lot of players in that service industry and that's why you see those markups uh and uh, procedures and uh, drugs and any any delivery of care because from the time that that care gets delivered to you from the hospital there's a lot of um, places that care has to go through a lot of administrators that uh, that play a middleman uh, to get that to you, and that's where the the price keeps getting marked up and marked up and marked up. And so one of the things that Mark Cuban is doing is direct contracting with pharmaceutical companies, and then uh, removing those middlemen and providing you those drugs directly at, at a wholesale cost. And that's um, sort of a layman's um, example of how that takes place. And I think with uh, the current economic cli- uh, climate, a lot of organizations are trying to do that through innovations, through automation, through AI that uh, you know remove the the manual component of it and uh, reduce the costs of care delivery directly to members or patients so that those costs can be curtailed um and so um the uh the shift that we're seeing in the current climate is uh is exactly what you mentioned how can we continue to give members a wow experience 
but do it in a, in a meaningful and cost-effective manner. And one of these we think that could be done is uh, through automation and uh, through um, AI and through, uh, to a certain extent, moving to the cloud, because then, you know, you don't have to spend exorbitant amounts of uh, uh, prices on maintaining those systems internally. You can outsource it to, uh, you know, companies that are more efficient in, in doing those things. So all of those costs, uh, every little bit counts in, in reducing those costs and uh, improving driving efficiencies. Um, you know, it, uh, I'd love to give an example of we we partner with a company that was processing, you know, um, close to about a million records, um, a little under a million records of, uh, of uh, clinical data to extract meaningful terminologies from it and submit it for value-based care. It took them hundreds of people multiple eyeballs in multiple hours and days to process that data and get those reports out for value-based care. Uh, we were contracted to come in and use our natural language processing to process those clinical notes, extract the meaningful terms, put it in a report, and submit it. The idea was just look at the electronic health record data, extract the meaningful terms, put it in a report, and submit it to the authorities. Uh, our NLP did that in under 12 hours. So imagine that with 98% accuracy. The humans were doing it in a, in, in a few weeks' time, um, about about a few weeks' time, and uh, it was it was accurate, but it was a lot of eyeballs looking at that data. And our our AI was able to do it in under a few hours, uh, and get that at 98% accuracy, 99% accuracy, uh, and and submit. So that's where the power of automation can reduce a lot of manual processes. And keep in mind, a lot of these manual processes are being done by highly qualified people. These are nurses that have been trained to take care of patients, but they have to look at the electronic health record and almost become data entry, low-level data entry folks. So they don't want to be doing this. They want to be doing what they what they trained for. And so we're freeing up that staff to uh, look at more patients and look at other things that are important for the hospital or the clinics mm -hmm. while the AI does the grunt work. And uh, I've written about this in, in different uh, 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 co-ops and publications that I've done in the past, where I, I, I wrote a, uh, an article in Newsweek that came out and uh, also MIT Sloan for how automation can reduce that burnout and reduce that manual overhead so that staff can be freed up to take care of patients, right? Mm. So a lot of those middlemen uh, services can be reduced uh, or redirected uh, using automation, I think that's where the cost cutting is going to make an imp important impact. So uh, to echo your points, I think a lot of hospitals have worker shortages um, and it's a business. I think people often team seem to forget that a hospital is really a business that provides healthcare. So either you're making the money or you're saving the money or you're doing both. Um, and then automation is a great way to reduce costs um, as as you touched on. Um, but I'm curious to, to maybe... Um, double click on this idea of automation because where do you start because there's obviously the obvious logical one like well you know automate this manual process because you have a hundred people you know as an example you shared uh, but really like there's how many steps how many processes different departments different people different technologies some new some old uh, and an environment where ultimately the patient is centered to all of this this whole discussion. Um, so I'm curious to uh, to ask you this: like, how do you add more value to customers? Like, in the in the context of being more efficient, when you engage with a a business or a healthcare uh, provider, for instance, what's how do you figure out like the journey that they need to go on? What's that process, and what does it look like? 
So we fundamentally believe, and that's the core thesis of our company, is uh, technology is commoditized. Um, and uh, you cannot deploy more technology with add, which adds more work to your customers and to your patients. Um, whatever you deploy has to um, improve efficiency, uh, reduce the time to get things done, and do it in a manner that it reduces costs while keeping high quality and, and wowing the patients, right? So I always tell our teams, that we got to build things like um, the way Orbitz or Netflix uh, or, you know, um, Hotels.com, for example, have been able to wow your customers where on a click of a button, you can book a hotel or an airline uh, or get your Uber delivered. So that's the kind of experience you need to keep as your center as we drive innovation in healthcare. But it has to be done in a manner so that uh, it doesn't add to uh, more work and more complexity. And in order to do that, you need to have those network effects. You need to have those integrations built out um, with your uh, health systems, those integrations built out with your payer provider uh, groups so that the data flows, flows uh, freely uh, amongst your uh, your patient populations and amongst your, your, your clinical care staff. So the way to end for you is, you know, sit with your customers, listen to them, hear their pain points, and then uh, create a solution that is custom tailored to them. Um, healthcare is not a, a cookie cutter. Most health systems that are even on the same uh, electronic health system, their fundamental workflows are different department to department and hospital to hospital. So a uh, one solution fit does not work in healthcare. Uh, you gotta, you're, you're probably you're gonna be 80% there, but the rest of the 20 or 30% has to be customized to the workflows and to the change behavior systems of those hospitals. So the way to uh, get your foot in the door is to be flexible and nimble, listen to your customers, and um, you know just work with them. And be collaborative, I suppose. In, in That's great. I mean, healthcare is a very uh, collaborative um, uh, industry, uh, and you need to have uh, all the stakeholders aligned as you're building out these uh, deployments. Uh, and uh, you need to get everybody involved, get everybody's buy-in. Um, before before you have a viable solution. Mm -hmm. uh, Tashveen, uh, you guys were uh, selected to be among the top 50 startups in the world's largest med tech program. There was a pre press release that went out uh, a few months ago. Um, and this was an accelerator program featuring medical device, diagnostic, and digital healthcare technologies from around the world. There's a lot of startups that go into these accelerators. Some have great experiences, some don't. Uh, some give away equity, some don't. I'm curious, I, I haven't heard of a med tech accelerator before. It seems to me like you're at the coalface of this med tech innovation narrative. Um, so I'm very curious to uh, you know, give our viewers around the world some insights into how does a med tech accelerator actually work and what did you learn or what were some of the outcomes that you realized as the CEO of CloudMedX? Different accelerators, some that uh, give you cash, some that take up equity, and some that require you to give them time. Uh, the MedTech Innovator uh, was, uh, our goal to go there was uh, not equity or cash or time. It was more uh, to get into that cohort and um, and then utilize uh, how we could assist other companies and how, um, you know, uh, we could get help uh, from, from the cohort and the principals uh, there. Uh, now, you know, the success or not success for a company when they go through these programs is more dependent on the company, how, how they can uh, 
better use those resources to their advantage. And so we have a good team of engineers, sales, and uh, architects that have been able to uh, uh, connect with the right folks uh, within this program and uh, make good connections. And then, you know, it, it really depends on what the objective of the company is. But generally, it's the onus is on the company to figure out uh, how do you best utilize the resources. And I think our team does a great job of uh, of utilizing what's available and then uh, and then just being very laser focused on what we want to do so when you met these other founders uh, from from around the world how collaborative are other startups in the medtech space obviously they're not sort of solving the same problem but they may be servicing the same customer um, this idea that you touched on earlier on about the healthcare industry is very collaborative. We all understand why on face value. I'm curious to know uh, from a network perspective, from an engagement perspective, uh, you know, how open and collaborative are other startups from uh, the other from the medtech category as part of this accelerator in terms of like, well, hey, you guys solve this, we solve it like this. Well, hey, why don't we strike together a partnership? Was there much of that sort of thing happening? Those things are uh, certainly evolving, and these things take a little bit of time, but we fundamentally believe that healthcare is a village. No one company is going to solve everything. Uh, and uh, the more we band together, uh, the the higher the, up the value chain uh, we go. So we have identified good partnerships. We're working on closing them and, and driving value ultimately for the end customer. So those, those conversations are ongoing. So what is a what does a good partnership look like? So I spoke to the CEO Clint Connell of Embrace and they've got like this amazing innovative it's called SmartWire. It's just literally like software that can program hardware. It's crazy. But like for the mouth. So it's an orthodontist type thing. They're displacing like the old gross sucky braces that <laughs> that a lot of people around the world hated <laughs> being put into their mouths. Uh, but um, he was talking about uh, this intermediary channel. And it seems to me like, especially in the healthcare space, it's a constant structure, meaning you're the OEM, the hospital, like the OEM, and then you've got these intermediary channel partners. There's uh, providers of all kinds, hardware, software, et cetera. And then you've got the patients. Um, and so, so that's you know similar to the Microsoft ecosystem where you have Microsoft distribution companies and then resellers. So this intermediary channel seems to be like it's a thing that doesn't go away, especially in very established industries. And it is a strategic enabler. Uh, so when it comes to partnerships, indirect or direct what do you look for like what does a great partnership look like and what do you what is your advice to other startups who are sitting in a in an industry which has this indirect channel uh, when it comes to selecting uh, partnerships so that they can start to scale uh, that uh, we, we always keep our true north uh, which is how can we add more value-added components to our customers uh, which are health systems and insurance companies so whatever adds value um, to our e uh, existing ecosystem uh, would be a good partnership. Um, uh, example is our we're, we're very customer centric and very customer focused. Many times our customers come to us and say, "Hey, uh, can you build this? Uh, and can you can you help us solve this problem?" We're not going to be able to solve everything. So for the things we can solve, we know that there's a lot of companies out there that can that we can get on our platform or do a partnership with. To, uh, to solve that problem. So we are now reaching out a lot of those companies actively uh, because we know that we have a customer that needs that solution. And so through that collaborative partnership, we can very quickly bring them online in that in that environment and, uh, and serve a dual purpose, which is uh, how can we use our customers and a partner to solve a problem together? And so we've signed partnerships like that where we go to solutions and go to market together 
with a net new solution that serves not only one customer's problem, but an entire segment that we weren't previously touching. So that's a success story for uh, uh, for what we look in partnerships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point that you that you landed there, uh, Tashveen, because there's product selling, which is, hey, I have this, you know, healthcare unit, like it's a whatever, like let's just say it's a blood pressure reading machine. And then there's solution selling, which is kind of like, well, you need the blood pressure machine and then you need a training provider who will train all the nurses you know at the hospital across the whole country but then uh, we are like this is a training provider that only services new york or california so we're going to bring this other training partner in who has a full reach across the whole of the u.s and so now you've got you've, you've got multiple partners right selling uh, a solution essentially instead of just a product but collectively the value of what the solution is is like 10x what just the you know blood pressure reader product would be on its own yeah, that's right so if you're if you know if you look at an enterprise customer which is a health system or an insurance company uh they get bombarded by a lot of companies that we call vendors or solution providers and many times you have the same solution being provided by multiple vendors and so very quickly, you have a vendor fatigue, which is now that you have to maintain that relationship. Uh, and then uh, you're, you're t- everybody's touching data. So there's an internal, huge internal team that manages those vendors. And then you have a, a, a huge bloating effect that happens uh, for an enterprise customer. So if, if there's if there's fewer companies providing more, more solutions, that becomes an ideal environment for a customer to operate in, because then they have uh, fewer vendors to deal with. Uh, and and then that's where the costs come down as well, um, yeah. as you're delivering care to your patients. Yeah, it's such an important strategic idea, isn't it? It's like, well, you can either try and be an island on your own, or you can recognize that you're not everything to everyone. And actually, if you're playing in a specific segment or in a specific industry, like how what partnerships can you procure so that you can create a point of difference, number one, but then also to lead. And I think there's a lot of... Um, startups that are just not thinking about well, how do we lead they're thinking about like how to get their first dollar like their you know or how to hit a certain run rate like a hundred thousand mrr or a million dollar arr per per year um, and what they're not thinking about was well, so i actually do like if you <laughs> a great product's not act, it's a great product's important but it's not like as important as a great product with a great partner you know who cares about the same problem or has a similar vision to you so I, I fundamentally fundamentally believe that healthcare is an infinitum game. It never stops. What's hot now and what's needed now may not be needed down the road. So those four apps, the clinical, financial, operational, and patient that we have, those are apps that we call first-party apps that we've built, we maintain. But we have partnered with companies that have second and third-party apps. And that's what we're slowly activating and bringing on our platform. So we have enough that by my goal is by early next year, we start announcing those partnerships. And those would be apps that serve things that we are directly not touching, but they're affecting our customers. For example, we're in the process of partnering with a company that does nurse staffing, right? So how do you use automation and AI to identify uh, nurse staffing needs and then bring on board physical nurses to help uh, with the staffing shortage uh, for those hospitals and clinics? Uh, so staffing is something we're not involved in, but we're bringing a partner online that can help do that. So that's an example of a collaboration that we're doing uh, to help solve a huge problem, which is nurse staffing 
uh, in, in the in the industry. Mm. Yeah. So for me, what I'm hearing is it's about there's there's this idea of short term profits, but then there's v- long term vision and growth. And I think oftentimes when you're in this early stage startup type vibe, where you maybe raised you know seed or Series A, you, you're not thinking about well, what's my leverage. You know, like what, where are we weak? Cause if we can partner with this one, like, and it's interesting cause I know this to be true because <laughs> I talk to startup founders every day and I'm connecting them. I'm like, Hey man, you, you guys do HR, you guys do something similar around coaching for career development, get together and have a chat because together I think you would actually have a better solution for the problem. And as you yeah. know, Tashveen, it's like, you know, as entrepreneurs, we're all, we're just in the business of problem solving. Right. The bigger the problem, the higher the value. The more you That's get true. paid. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. You wanted to raise it? Or do you want to jump in there? No, no I'm, I'm disagreeing with what you oh, were saying. Like I said, healthcare is a village. And uh, you know, the the more the more um uh things you have, more tools you have in that village, the more the bigger things you can build and, and solve for. Well, in Africa they say it takes a village to raise a child. I think that's everywhere in the world, not just Africa. <laughs> <laughs> True story. So you spoke about vision earlier on. What is the vision that you have for uh, for Cloud Medics? Obviously, this is a personal thing that you know you you had with your dad, as you touched on up front. Um, so, what's the vision? What what do you intend to 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 change um, at the end of this story? I think healthcare is a fundamental right, uh, just like food, shelter, and education. Um, and I think healthcare is something that has become uh, more and more expensive and getting more and more out of reach for a lot of people. I I read a stat that it's uh, one of the top reasons for bankruptcy in the U.S. So if you ever get cancer um, or have to get a, an, a surgery in an emergency, the costs are so big that some people end up losing their houses for it. So when you look at those stories, just quickly sort of figure out that uh, that doesn't feel like a fundamental right, right? There's something wrong in that story. And so whatever we, whatever we can do, whether it's through automation, cost reduction, efficiencies, uh, whatever we can do to reduce costs, I think it's going to become more and more democratized and more and more attainable for uh, for the average person. I mean, um, it's I, I, I have a lot of European friends and they, um, they're always surprised to hear about healthcare costs in the U.S. because in, in Europe, there's healthcare is free. But when they're visiting here, they have to have insurance because if something happens to them, you know, mm. it's it's going to be all on the, on their uh, it's going to ding into their savings. So uh, we want to make healthcare a basic human right in the U.S. And uh, whatever tools we're developing, whatever partnerships we're building, it, that goal is right in center. How do we make the member experience better? How do we make uh, the overall experience better? Whether it's an enterprise or whether it's a consumer looking at tools. Um, so that's a long term vision. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you shouldn't worry about your health care if you're out of a job, for example, right? Because your insurance is tied to your, your income and your job. So how can we build things that can make it easy for policymakers and um, enterprise companies to provide that as a basic human right? Uh, and that's what we're striving for. I love that. I love that. Uh, as an immigrant to the States, uh, having been here three months, like trying to figure out like the healthcare story. Cause I mean, like it's amazing how like people, or is it like, dude, like one person even said to me, keep your health, your hospital plan back in, in, in South Africa, because when you come to the U S like it's a mess, you know? Um, and to your point around income, like there is this, um, this gap in, you know, 
the idea of it should be a basic human right, but then it's only if you earn a lot of money, like you get the kind of care that you're looking for. Um, and I'm really, really uh, excited to see where you guys uh, are going to go in, you know, in 10 years' time to see what, what kind of a difference you've made. Um, but I want to have a quick bit of fun with you, uh, Tashveen. I'm going to give you the keys to the Map Round Show time machine, okay? And I want you to go – I know you're not like a one-year-old company, but go back to, <laughs> to yourself on day one, right? And think about all the failings, all the learnings, all the successes, all of it, like the whole thing. And if you were to give yourself one piece of advice – on day one, but go back in time, what's that one piece of advice you would give yourself about building cloud medics? I would say that um, you know, healthcare is like, a, it, it's a, there's a lot of uh, valleys and a lot of peaks that you need to cross. And, uh, uh, but as long as you're linearly going, uh, so as long as you're, you're using it as a step function, to go up the ladder, it's okay. There'll be a lot of ups and downs. Uh, build those relationships and partnerships ahead of time so that you surround yourself with the right kind of advisors, the right kind of friends uh, who will support you during both during your ups and downs uh, of the company. And that's uh, how you ride out the storm. Um, when we started the company, um, we didn't have a lot of support, uh, but we slowly built it. And that's what Silicon Valley is so great um, you know, when you reach out, reach out your hand, uh, a lot of people will provide your, you, 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 you that support that you need. So reach out early, reach out more and more. And, uh, and if you don't ask, nobody's going to give it to you. So you just need to ask. Oh, so glad you said that. I think it's such a difficult thing to do is to go, Hey man, I'm actually having a shitty time right now and I need help, you know? Um, and it's why, it's why I do the show. Cause it really does actually make a difference. It does not like, yeah, 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 man. I'll like, I'll get you, you know, you and 10 other dudes, <laughs> like, you know, it really, it really does make a difference. And I think one of the things Billy Brush said to me is that also based in Palo Alto. Um, and he said to me, you know, I said to him, I asked him what's if, what role has Silicon Valley actually played? And, you know, t like tell me honestly like what is it is it true or is it not and he said dude it's like if you if you're in silicon valley and you go to like whoever it is like a vc or maybe another founder and you say to them look i'm gonna change the world like this and even it doesn't matter how crazy the idea is they will more more than likely believe you because they are also you know, in the same change the world boat. Does it make sense? Like they, they believe the crazy, the crazy ones are the ones that change the world. It's what like, like Apple, uh, Steve Jobs said, didn't he? So, you know, you, you always get empathy from other people who are going through that journey mm -hmm. uh, and you have to experience it to build that empathy. I don't think you can build it without going through that experience. Uh, and so I think that that's why there's a lot of that in Silicon Valley because everybody is, is in the same boat as you are. And, and trying to build things. And it's not easy. Like building companies is, is, is incredibly hard. And, but once you build it, then you have to give back uh, or give it forward, in other words. Mm -hmm. Pay it forward. Love it. Uh, Tashveen, let's wrap this up. Um, why do you do what you do? I mean, obviously, building a business, we all know building a business is like one of the hardest things. That and being a parent. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the two hardest things you could do at the same time. Good luck. Um, but <laughs> why do you do what you do, Tashveen? What gets you out of bed in the, out of bed in the morning? Uh, so, you know, it's, um, we, we, uh, when my father got sick, 
uh, our goal was to take care of one. And uh, now we're doing that for millions of people. So that's what keeps me up at night. That's what, uh, that's what motivates me and my entire team. Um, you know, we, I can't talk about some of the new projects that we're doing, but we're doing some projects where the team is like, hey, I want to get on that project too, because it's impactful. It's, it's world changing, right? Uh, so that's what keeps us up at night, listening to our customers. And uh, we went to a conference where a customer literally came up to us and said, you saved our company. And uh, the work that you did uh, allowed us to stay ahead in the game. And that's that's what we want to hear. Um, we uh, we built an algorithm that did early detection for something. And um, we made a press release about it. And in the, in the response to the press release, we had, we had patients coming up and saying, I wish that it, this was there you know, five years ago uh, when we had cancer. And so those are the kind of things that, uh, you know, that um, are causes for celebrations. Well, congratulations. It's, it's great to uh, to have you on the show, uh, Tashfeen. I think what you're doing is amazing. It's hard, and that's what makes it valuable. And, you know, health, the healthcare profession and industry all around the world needs more of uh, cloud medics and more Tashfeens at the end of the day. <laughs> Thank you for having me on the show. Anytime. Thanks, everybody. Cheers. Thank you. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.